Good morning, church family. I'm reading um, Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should rejoice and be glad with me. The word of the Lord. morning. Anybody have a great workout this week? Anybody have a great workout? A couple of hands. I'm assuming the rest of us aren't putting our hands up because we're just so sore from our workouts this week. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I thought about having a great workout. I thought a lot about it. Does that count for anything? Thank you. Thank you. I feel so much better about myself. Thank you. Of course, we all know regular exercise is important, right? It's important for our health, but at least for me and maybe for you, that regular part is where we stumble. That's the challenge, right? We're good at starting. Maybe you've been there, especially around January. I'm really going to do this. I'm serious this time, right? I'm going to go down to the gym every day for an hour. No, scratch that, three hours. I'm turning over a new leaf. This is real. I'm serious this time. I'm going to make it happen. But of course, the follow-through is where we stumble. The follow-through. Roughly 80% of people who join a gym quit within the first five months. Americans spend over a billion dollars every year on unused gym memberships. These are people who buy a gym membership and don't even go once. That many people buy the membership... And don't go. Maybe they tell themselves they're committed. Hey, I've, I've, I've paid for this now, so I'm holding myself accountable. I'm in. I'm part of the club. But of course, we can't buy our way to health. We can't buy our way to fitness. We can spend all of our money on the latest workout fads and all the supplements until we're blue in the face. But believe it or not, we actually have to work out to be healthy, right? And to see results. We have to make it a part of our way of life. In the spiritual life, it's quite the same, isn't it? God intends for us to exercise our faith, not to be passive and stagnant, or just to follow Jesus every once in a while in fits and starts, but to be constantly growing. Our text this morning calls us all into an active and faithful way of life with God. Continue our series in Philippians. We've called Citizens of Heaven. We're seeing how this ancient letter is profoundly relevant to our lives today by 
pointing us toward this vision of what it means to be a citizen of heaven first and foremost. Paul's been modeling for us, as we've seen so far in the book, a deep spiritual maturity. Each week has been an invitation to take another step. We'll see in this morning's text that we can't grow into mature disciples without regular spiritual exercise. Just as we often need the right perspective, we need the right motivation to work out physically, Paul lays out some pretty compelling motivations for us to have this exercising faith. Would you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Our Father, we come to your word this morning asking that you reveal your truth and the power of the Holy Spirit and enable us to obey by the provision of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. So look at Philippians 2, verse 12. If you have that in front of you, look at Philippians 2, verse 12. Before we get to these motivations from Paul, let's look at the command itself. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The therefore points back to the preceding verses that we saw last week. Remember the example of Jesus's humility that shows us really how a citizen of heaven thinks, how a citizen of heaven acts. And this text is more application from that incredible truth. Just as Jesus humbly obeyed the Father, so of course should we. Jesus is now the exalted Lord of all. And so we show our allegiance to him by our constant obedience. But our attention's probably focused on that second half of the verse there, isn't it? Work out your own salvation. This command has been twisted and misunderstood often. Wait a minute. Paul, what are you saying here? Are you saying that we achieve our salvation by works? And even worse, this fear and trembling, does this mean that we can lose our salvation? We should be afraid of that every time we sin? If this verse is giving you a little bit of heartburn along those lines, let's just set our minds at ease. Okay, this is not at all what Paul is saying. Nobody is clearer than the Apostle Paul uh, that salvation is by grace alone. It's a free gift achieved by Christ's death and resurrection, not dependent whatsoever on our own effort, on our own works, on our own religious achievement. We can't earn our salvation, not even a fraction of it, because, of course, that would be an insult to grace. It would no longer be a gift if I earned even a little bit of it. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so if you're here or online joining us and you're, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this he invites you, we invite you to receive the free gift of salvation in Jesus alone. So what does he mean here, though, by work out your own salvation? Well, as always, context is key. Grace versus works and salvation is nothing at all to do with the context. What have we been seeing so far in the book? Paul's guiding us into how our salvation actually gets worked out practically, day to day. He's not talking about our individual spiritual standing with God, but our corporate life as a church together. Living out our salvation together. Your own here is plural. It's not singular. It's not my salvation in view here. It's our salvation that's being worked out together. Okay? 
As one writer put it, we are to work out what God in his grace has worked in. I think that's helpful. The Greek word here for work out means to put something into effect entirely or thoroughly. In other words, we're supposed to live out the grace that we've been given in our lives thoroughly. There's not any part of our lives that's not meant to be touched by the transforming work of Christ fully, thoroughly. This word is used in ancient literature to refer to cultivating allotments of land. I love that image. So in that sense, Paul's saying, church, get busy cultivating. Get busy cultivating what God has given you by grace. And this attitude of fear and trembling is not fear of punishment, but a right awe and a reverence before God. We've been entrusted by God himself to live out the gospel. We live this out together, so we... This right attitude builds on what we saw last week, this selfless humility toward one another that puts others first. And notice again the context. This command is in a very specific and personal situation. What is it? Paul's absence from his beloved church. Paul's in prison. He's not there to guide and care for them directly. So now it's time for them, these Philippian believers, to take responsibility for their own faith, to own it, to care for themselves and one another. Church, keep on obeying Christ, not just when I'm with you, but even more importantly, when I'm not with you. It's kind of like leaving your teenage kids home alone for the weekend, right? Okay, kids, you've been responsible, you've been obedient in our presence, but now it's the moment of truth. Now we're going to be absent and we'll see how this carries over. Are you going to be as obedient and as responsible When mom and dad aren't there, or as soon as we leave, are you going to call all the neighborhood and trash the place, right? This is the idea. In other words, Paul's calling these believers and Paul is calling us to maturity. Here we are again to spiritual maturity, to own our faith, not to wait for someone else to do it for us, but to adopt the way of life for ourselves of following Jesus, to look out for each other's spiritual well-being, Not the kind of faith that's content with just having the gym membership card, but the kind of faith that's exercised and strong and growing. And so with this command in mind to work out our salvation together, let's take a look at a few of these motivations that Paul lays out. Just as you may need to remind yourself why you're on the treadmill in the first place, right? When it gets tough, there's. let's look at three things that Paul holds up before us as we get busy exercising our faith. There's more than three in this passage, but let's just look at three. First of all, in verse 13, we should hold up before us, as we work out our salvation, we should hold up before us the pleasure of God. The pleasure of God. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so follow the flow here. Work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you. This word for God working is a different word than our work here, meaning here to cause to function. So God supplies the power that we need to carry out our work to completion. And if we want to continue the workout metaphor, if that works for you, God has provided us the workout equipment. God has paid for our gym membership for life. God has created our bodies with muscles that can get stronger. And he's given us the energy, maybe most importantly to many of us, he's given us the energy to actually get up off the couch and go. 
God works in us so we can work out. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. For which God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's working out our salvation. God works in us, Paul says, both to will and to work. God empowers us not to obey out of religious duty, but it starts by giving us the mind of Christ that we saw last week and here, the will, the desire itself. God transforms our very desires. Paul wants them to see that God was at work in the church at Philippi. By extension, we can see God is at work here, Trinity Fellowship Church. This has been a theme, at least for me, in conversations in the past several weeks with many of you. A theme that keeps coming up that I keep hearing is God is at work here. That's so exciting to hear that we're growing in awareness of that fact. I think it's in part because we're growing as a body to be less self-focused, growing <clears throat> to focus more on others, the priority of the gospel. We're taking our eyes off our own agendas and coming together to serve our community, to reach out to those in need around the world. Makes me wonder how we can get the word out in new ways about what God is doing here to invite others to join us. But God is at work empowering our work, our service for him. And all this, both his work and ours, are for his good pleasure. God doesn't need us. I don't know if you knew that. God doesn't need us to accomplish his will, but he wants to. He delights in working in and through us. Just think about it. God the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit existing for eternity past in perfect communion, in perfect fellowship, in perfect self-giving love with no need for another. But God created us and invites us into his work for his good pleasure. I mean, what greater purpose, what greater motivation is there in life than to work to bring delight to our creator? And he shares that delight with us. As Gordon Fee writes, all that God does, he does for his pleasure. But since God is wholly good, what pleases him is not capricious, but what is wholly good for those he loves. God's pleasure is pure love. It delights God to delight his people. And so we want to exercise a growing faith for the delight of our God. And secondly, Paul says we do this for the light we can bring to the world. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. There's a lot there. But the command is to do all things, not just some things, not just the things we feel like it, but again, all things without grumbling or disputing. These words call back to Israel in the wilderness. What were they really good at? Grumbling, disputing, complaining, right? They could, grumbled against Moses. They grumbled against God. Instead of stepping into this incredible privilege, this covenant that God made with them, with blessing, with promise ahead of them, they got busy doing what? Grumbling. Paul's implication here is clear. We're in the new exodus accomplished by Jesus Christ. We're 
in the new exodus from sin and death. We're living as kingdom citizens in the here and now. We're called to be busy about the work of God as he builds his kingdom and as we await Christ's return. So Paul's saying, let's not fall into the same selfish trap that they did. It was evidently arguing and disunity in Philippi, and Paul's saying to them and to us, wake up. See how that is affecting, how that is interfering with the work that God is doing through you. How it's keeping you from being light. The aim is to be blameless, to be innocent, without blemish, outward signs of working out the gospel. Our unity and our virtue are to be such a contrast with the outside world that we shine like light. This idea of shining looks back to Daniel 12, where Daniel writes, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. God makes us his children by grace, and us working out our salvation shows by our actions that we are God's children. We have a tendency, I think, to make this idea of shining for Christ kind of sort of mean whatever we want it to mean, though, right? Whatever we prefer it to be in our lives. In our polarized culture right now, I think some Christians seem to think shining for Christ is a combative us-versus-them mentality. Maybe fighting over politics or current events. And so the question may be, a better question for us is, what are we standing out for? Not just are we standing out, but what are we standing out for? And if you wanted to stand out at work tomorrow, you could walk in wearing a pink sombrero. But I'm not sure that would give you the desired results, right? I'm not sure your boss would be real impressed with that, or that would show up in a good way on your performance review. If you try that, let me know how it goes. I'd like, I'm curious. But we don't want to stand out for the wrong things. I wonder if sometimes believers stand out, ironically, for our grumbling, for our disputing, the very thing forbidden in this text so we would shine like light. We need to remember that how we say something is just as important as what we say. When we stand out more for what we're against than what we're for, our light dims. Paul is saying, rather, something very, very different. We're to stand out for our blameless character. For our selfless humility that we saw last week. For our unity. For our love for one another. That is the primary thing to distinguish us from this crooked and twisted generation that comes right from the mouth of Jesus. It's these virtues, these positive virtues that are meant to contrast us with the world, that's what we're supposed to stand out for. That's what shines. Not by fighting people, but by showing them the love of Christ. And so we have the truth in love. Both of those are essential. The love part is not optional. You need both. When our truth lacks love, we've distorted the truth itself, and we've lost our light. And so we need to keep this before us as we interact As we engage, as we decide to post something on social media, we need to put it through this filter. Am I shining for Jesus Christ? Or am I standing out for some other reason and diminishing the light that I've been called to be? So Paul draws our attention to the pleasure of God. He 
puts before us this light that we're called to be to the world. And lastly, he raises up the joy of living for Christ. Look at verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul closes this section by calling us back to the reality again of joy and suffering. We've seen this already in the book. Paul's in prison, remember. The church at Philippi is suffering as well. But again, no circumstances should be able to shake our joy. We don't need to say much here. We've talked about joy already. We'll talk about joy again. It's a big theme throughout the book of Philippians. But again, here, we're confronted with what true joy looks like. Paul is in chains. Paul is facing possibly his own death. But his joy is unshakable. How? Remember, he's put before him the priority of the gospel. People are coming to Christ. Paul knows that God is busy working, building his kingdom, and he gets to be a part of it, even if it means his own suffering and his own death. That's why he can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. As we saw last week, we serve an exalted king who will come again. And in the meantime, we get to be busy working out our salvation, living out the gospel and watching God work through us. We've said it before, but it's worth repeating here. Spiritual maturity can be measured by what it takes to steal your joy. So what are you allowing to steal your joy? It's hard to have joy when you're grumbling. I know that from personal experience. Maybe you do too. It's hard to have joy when your eyes are focused on your own circumstances, your own problems, something that makes you angry. Paul's calling us into a deeper spiritual maturity, and we need to take the step. When we work out our salvation individually, and even more importantly as a church together, we get to share in the joy of what God is doing. And that joy multiplies. I hope you see how interwoven in this passage God's work is with our work. All these practical commands, like don't grumble. Paul isn't afraid of talking about our work as believers. Remember, we're not talking about earning our salvation. It's not at all the context. We're working it out. We're living it out. And some believers misunderstand this distinction. I think they react so strongly against any mention of of work, of doing in the Christian life. It's a well-meaning, I think, mentality. But that let go and let God, I think that can lead to a passive faith, an inactive faith, a faith that doesn't really do very much, that doesn't grow, that isn't challenged. Jesus calls us to follow him, to follow in his steps. That demands our complete devotion. We want to love God with all our strength. As Paul makes plain here, it's God working in us all along, the provision of Christ in us that enables us to obey in the first place. And so ask the Holy Spirit, how this text would guide you personally to grow, to take a step further into spiritual maturity. Would you describe your walk with God right now as vibrant, as exercising, as growing? Or lately, have you been in a season where you've been more passive, just sort of going through the motions? You've been meeting Christ in his word and in prayer and finding life. Practically, that looks different, I think, for everybody. 
But if we're just dipping our toe in the water, we can't be doing these things occasionally, can we, if our life is found in Christ. Now, our individual devotion is essential, but remember the context of this passage. It's our corporate devotion. Working out our salvation together as a church. So on the basic level, we all need to be connected with one another. We all need to be serving in some way. This is not a spectator sport. We all need to be involved as God works in us and through us. And that's where to start. Of course, if you're not in a connection group, practically, if you're, if you need a place to serve, but if you are, don't just check the box and say, okay, yes, I'm connected. Yes, I'm serving. For example, in a group, ask yourself, how am I contributing to the life of the group? Not just in it for what I can get, but Actively seeking to minister to the other group members, praying for them, caring for them, doing my part to contribute, letting God work through me to work to serve them. Not getting in the way of what God is doing with a grumbling or complaining attitude. When you pray together as a group, are you focusing only on your circumstances? Of course we should pray for each other's circumstances, but is that our sole focus Are we taking hold of the joy that is ours in Christ beyond circumstances? Are we praying for this kind of spiritual growth for one another and seeing that joy multiply? And many of us struggle to work out consistently. I know I do. Even though we know how important it is to our health and our well-being, some of us, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but some of us may have gym memberships that go unused. Maybe even more of us have workout equipment at home that's collecting dust in the attic or in the garage. But how much more tragic is it when that is our spiritual reality? We need to exercise our faith constantly, not just sprinkling just enough religion into our normal, everyday lives, but adopting this way of life. Remember, we have the provision of Christ, God working in us and through us for his good pleasure. I close with Paul's words in 1 Timothy 4 in the Good News Translation. Paul writes, Physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way because it promotes life both for the present and for the future. We struggle and work hard because we have placed our hope in the living God. Would you bow with me? Our Father, thank you for your word that calls us into the life we were created for. Would you give us hearts that long to bring you delight, the share and the joy of the work that you are always doing. Thank you for the work you are doing in our midst here in this body. Keep growing us into this deep spiritual maturity that we're seeing in this book and keep growing us to reach out wider with the love of Christ to invite others into what you're doing. All for the glory of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.